0: invite you to take your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 4 if you would, James chapter 4. We will stand in just a few moments to uh, <clears throat> to read this uh, brief passage together um, and uh, then I will pray after that several things that we want to pray for, need to pray for. We've uh, been accustomed to praying for a different uh, m- mission organization or a person that uh, is supported by our church. Today we pray for Melissa Kendall, who went out from our church and is serving in uh, Southeast Asia, Indonesia. And uh, so we will pray for her. We also want to pray for our music search process. I um, want to share with you that we uh, thought we were getting very, very close. The search team had handed off a candidate to the elders, and uh, we have been doing some work uh, with that, but uh, certain things came up, and so the process has stopped with that candidate, and so we are basically going back, handing that off to the search team again, and so we ask for your prayers for that as well. We'll pray about that in just a few moments. Let me preface the reading of the scripture um, with a couple of comments. Really, this is not only for those of us who have been on this journey through James, but also, if you're new with us, maybe this will kind of catch you up. Throughout this letter, James has been describing a radical new and different way for the believer the true believer in Christ to live in this world today we come to a, a passage of scripture that I find so important to me personally and I think to us as a church to you individually to your family it's so easy to get caught up in the business of and the busyness of our lives. The world tells us that what we need to do is to live and to plan as if we are going to be here forever. But James tells us something different. He tells us to live and to plan and to work as if your life is short. And therefore, to invest in the right things, things that count for eternity. So with that, would you stand with me, please? And we'll read from this passage of Scripture together, James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, Spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father, we thank you that these words are not only challenging words, and we can see that easily from what we just read, but they're also words of incredible encouragement and comfort. And so I pray that as we as, as we walk through this passage of Scripture, knowing that we're not going to, to, to get all the way through it today, but as we begin to talk about these things, about what really counts in life and how we should be talking about our planning for the future, even if it's just our plans for the afternoon, Lord, you need To be in that. And so help us today to hear your word. Help us today that your Holy Spirit, who for us who know you and and love you, you live inside of us and you will take your word. And as Paul says in Colossians, "I I pray that you would help it to dwell richly in our hearts so that we would go out of this place changed so that we would invest in the right things, things that will count for eternity. Father, we also want to lift up our dear sister, Melissa, to you. We know that she is facing many challenges where she works overseas, and we pray for her. Lord, provide everything that she needs for the work that she has been called to do. And I pray that this right now would be a reminder to all of our folks to lift up Melissa Kendall in our prayers on a regular basis. And Lord, we pray for our music search team as they now again assemble, they begin to look at and discover what you providentially have ordered for us. Lord, may they seek your plan and your purpose for your glory and for the good of the kingdom and for the good of this church. We thank you and we pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. I alluded just a few minutes ago that we're not going to get all the way through this message. Like uh, often happens, I will begin a message with, with all of this that's before me, and I'll begin the preparation. And about Thursday, when I make the outline, I will discover, uh-oh, I've got way too much to preach unless the folks want to stay till about 2 o'clock. So knowing that you probably will be hungry around a quarter or two or something like that, we're going to end today, but we will come back and revisit this. All right, Because as I, as I said a few moments ago, I really think that this passage of Scripture, for me personally, is one of the most defining passages in all of James, in all of the Scriptures, particularly at my season of life. But even as I started studying this, I realized, hey, it's not just us old guys and making sure that the rest of our lives count. It's also for these students, for every season of life as we're going to see as we apply these words. And so you see the outline, we're breaking it up by verse, and we're, we're going to talk about basically four different things. We'll get through about, oh, partway um, through verse 15. We've got an application to make there. Well, we'll start first with verse 13 and then jump down to verse 16. And what, I, 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 what I'm using here is a phrase, As a follower of Christ, now please get this down, James is not all about doing so that you can become a Christian. We've talked about that before, but you need to know, especially if you're here for the first time and you read through the book of James, it's going to sound like, man, this guy is telling us just do this and do this and do this. It almost sounds like we're trying to get approved before God. But if you'll remember, those of us who have been studying through this, that's already been done. Our approval before God is because of what Christ has already done, not what we do. Okay, you got that. But growing out of that, if you look at the big idea of the book, faith, genuine faith, always works. It always grows to one degree or another at different seasons of life but it reveals itself increasingly in practical, God-honoring, gospel-centered living. And oh my, this is one of the most important things, talking about planning, looking toward the future. And so in this, we'll see the four things listed there in your outline, what you as a believer must never say, and then why you must never say it, Then we go on to the positive side. James says what you must say. And then the last thing that he says, what you must know and what you must start doing. We won't fully get to that today. So let's jump in. Look at verse 13 and 16, what you must never say. Now, right here, James is is addressing a specific situation in the church And it goes something like this. There were in those days successful businessmen who had come to a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And so they had come into the church and they had put aside all of the the material pursuits, not that they quit their business, they went on doing their business, but their priorities changed. And then over time, Have you seen this happen in your life or in the life of someone that you know? Over time, those those priorities get challenged. And somehow, there there becomes the, the great exchange. And these people who once lived for worldly things, but they backed away from that living for Jesus, somehow they begin again living for worldly things. Now, let me say two things about what James is and is not saying here it is not wrong to plan all right have you got that down it's not wrong to plan the proverbs uh, other passages of scripture are chocked full of places where it says it is good to plan in fact you're a fool if you do not plan but even as we read this look at it again Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and we will spend a year there. We will make money or or, uh, trade and make a profit. Do you see the glaring problem? This applies to everything. Here's another thing. First of all, it's, it's okay to plan, all right? Some of you probably ought to do a little bit more planning. Second thing, here's a common thing that we often do. We hear a passage of scripture like this, a teaching like this, and all of a sudden something clicks. You know, sometimes we are lawyers, uh, not by profession, but internally we are the best lawyers in the business. We can defend ourselves when we sin, right? And so automatically there may be someone in this audience today and in james audience who might be saying hey i'm not a businessman so this really doesn't apply to me and i'm going to say by application yes it does and here's what i want you to ask yourself by the way these are little questions that you might when you have lunch with your family you might have these conversations you might ask your kids you might ask your friends what business are you in you say, What 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 business am I in? Yeah. Look, look at this. Now, I'm not going to, to apply it to every different situation, but look at how easily this overlays on you, no matter what season of life you are in. Come now, you students, who say, Today and tomorrow I will work hard and I will earn a scholarship and I will go to such and such a college. And then after that, I will graduate and I will get married and I will settle down and live the American dream. Come now, you who say, let me talk to the parents, today or tomorrow, we will start raising our children in such and such a way so that when we get there and when they get older, their behavior will be determined because we've raised them the right way. Come now, search team, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and we will interview a candidate and he will come and everything will work out fine. Instead, you ought to say, do you see how these things apply to every situation in life? Let's let's look on the bigger, the grander scale. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow I'm going to work hard for my political party to ensure that the right person is going to to be in the White House the next election. You see, this kind of thing, this kind of planning, now, again, it's not wrong to plan, but what is, I mentioned it a second ago, what is the big, glaring problem? Do you see it? Believer look at I, I know that many of you do you just don't want to say it out loud by the, this this is interactive you can blurt it out the glaring problem is that there is no mention made about God and his part in your plans whatsoever and that is how so many Christians live their lives Say, so, well, Pastor, I, I hear you. But l- let me say this on, on the big stuff, I let God direct me. But on the little stuff, the mundane, everything, everyday kinds of things, I, I'm just going to make my decision. And so many times you go through life, and you know what? The little things add up into big things. And over a course of time, you have not consulted God in hardly any of the decisions that you have made recently. Or or if you do, it's like this, Lord, I want to do this today or tomorrow. I want to do this. I want to go to such and such a place. I want, Maybe it's not engage in business, but all of those other scenarios. And so when you're finished making your plans, what do you do? You send up a quick prayer to God and say, Lord, bless my plans. You may not say it exactly like that, But that's really the thought. You know what James is giving right here? James wants believers in Christ to never play God. Because that's not good. And so what James is giving in verse 13, and then you jump on down to verse 16, he's giving six different ways in which you can play God. I've listed them right here. Okay, you don't have to write these down. They're obvious as you read through this. Here's how a believer, and we're talking to all the way through he's talking to believers. Brother, brother, beloved brother. And so he's giving the rules. Now, I I know, I say this tongue-in-cheek, I know that Well, I don't say this part tongue-in-cheek. I know you don't want to play God. But there is a way in which if you do not involve God in your planning, that's exactly what you're doing. And that's what he's saying. Believer, you must never do this. You must never set your own schedule. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow. Later on, he's going to give the why. It has something to do with this. So don't go about as if you're setting your own schedule. Don't you think you ought to say, Lord, what is your schedule for me? And let, let's kind of work together on this. Neither do you select your own path. We will go to such and such a town. Now, again, it's not wrong to plan for that. But you submit at the very beginning to the Lord. We place our own limits. We will spend a year there. We arrange our own activities. We will trade the ESV. We will be involved in business. And we will predict our own outcome. Hmm. We will make a profit. And then verse 16 says one other thing that you can add to that. If you're really going to cap it off on playing God of your own life, you will boast about what you have accomplished. Now, it won't sound like boasting, at least to you. Look what I have done. And it could come in something as simply as the Christmas letter that you send out every year. We've almost called a moratorium on Christmas letters. Because it sounds like that everything is so perfect and everything has gone so well. Now, many of those, by the way, thankfully, They give glory to God, but there are some who don't. So that's just a rundown. What he's saying in verse 13 and verse 16 is here's how you play God. You know what this is? This is nothing less than the adult version. Listen to me. This is nothing less than the adult version of little children who say, I do it myself. We want our children to be independent, but there is a limit. Sometimes children need to understand that they do need help. Do you know what song in the United Kingdom is played most often at funerals? This is no joke. It is the song that Frank Sinatra recorded in 1969. Elvis came Along in the mid-70s and recorded it. Now, I looked all this up. I didn't listen to the songs. I, you, you, you know exactly what I'm going to say. You, you've heard old Blue Eyes sing this song before. It became his signature song. Later on, Sid Vicious recorded it. I haven't heard that. I don't think I want to because there's a lot of profanity laced in that version of it, but it is it is the song, I did it my way. Now, I'm not going to read the whole song. I'm certainly not going to sing it. You just imagine Frank Sinatra singing this. But listen to some of the things. And by the way, he didn't write this. Paul Anka wrote it for him. You knew that, Lowell, didn't you? And this is incredible because he knew Frank Sinatra. and He said, this is Frank. Okay, let me read just a couple of verses to you. And you're going to see this kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Now, Frank Sinatra, as far as we know, did not come to saving faith in Christ. And so you understand that. But what we're saying is, James says, don't let this creep into your mindset. Listen to this. Frank gets it partly right, just like I quoted Sigmund Freud, who got something partly right last week. He says, and now... No, I started singing. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) You almost can't help it. And now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. He got that right, and he did. My friend, I say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I traveled each and every highway and more. Much more than this, everybody join in. I did it my way. And he goes on to say regrets. I've had a few, but then again, too few to mention. and I'm going to go back down to the, to the last verse. Listen to this. It's amazing how, because God has put eternity into the heart of even lost people, they, they get some things right. Listen to this. For what is a man? What has he got? Well, that's a good question to ask. If And then he gets it wrong. If not himself, then he has not. Lord, help us. If that's all you've got is you, you're in big trouble. To say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels, I wish Frank had knelt before the creator of the universe and repented. He says the record shows I took the blows and did it my way. That song is sung most often in funerals, more than any other song in the United Kingdom. Isn't that amazing? An old Yiddish proverb, Woody Allen came back, and he quoted it too. He said, the Yiddish proverb said, If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. And so here's what James is saying. This simply cannot be a part of the believer's mindset. Here's what it leads to. David Wells, in the quote in your worship guide, listen to it. We have turned to a God that we can use rather than to a God we must obey. We have turned to a God who will fulfill our needs rather than to a God before whom we must surrender our rights to ourselves. He is a God for us and for our satisfaction. We have come to assume that it must be so in the church as well. And so we transform the God of mercy into a God who is at our mercy. We imagine that he is benign, that he will acquiesce as we toy with his reality and co-opt him, in the promotion of our ventures and careers. So we must never say what is listed in James chapter 4, verse 13 and 16. But why? Why must you never say it? Because and, and I know for the most part, I, probably everyone, Life is what happens to you after you make other plans. James says, here's here's good motivation. Your life is brief. He uses the, uh, the picture of a vapor. You know what I'm talking about on a chilly day when it's still in Oklahoma City. That's rare. But if it's really, really cold and you step out and you're all bundled up, and and you just breathe in this breath, this vapor. This this is a verse right out of Job. This is the picture. And the vapor comes out, and it's gone. And that's the picture that he gives. Here's what he's saying your life is uncertain. And you know that. And your life is incredibly short. There, there, are those in this congregation today, and you know the reality of that. You know it. I and Peggy, you know that. You were just sharing in our ABF class today about Brooke. Greg and Julie, you know that. About Sam, his funeral was this last Tuesday, and they're here here. They're they're where they ought to be with their family, their church family. I asked Julie on Monday, I said, Julie, is there anything that you would want said to people in light of what's happened to you? It's fresh. I know it's fresh. And and she she said, she said, tell people to invest in Time, because time is short. She, she was taking a walk last Sunday at, around the lake and she saw a family over there and she said she wanted, she was tempted to just go over there and say to them, do you understand how precious this time is? And all of us know that, but there's some who know it here. It is, it is palpable, it is visceral. You know it and you still feel it. There are times that I love shopping at Sam's. There are things about Sam's that I don't like. I don't know about Costco. We'll try them out. But you know what I don't like about shopping at Sam's? had this experience just this last week. Pulled down a basket because I was looking for a certain medication. And I looked at it, and I started to to take it out. And then I thought, you know, I better read uh, the expiration date. You know what happens? You go and they force you to buy like a gazillion bottles of whatever it is. And so this was probably the last of the batch. And it said someday, I don't remember the day or the month, but it said 2014. And I said, I think this is, I think this is a little out of date. We, listen, you and I have a shelf life. And things can change in a second. There are so many unplanned things. It could be a a temporary wait at a checkout stand, like I had at Lowe's yesterday. Or it could be a blow that knocks out half of your dreams. I said, You have a shelf life, but don't take my word for it. Take God's word, and in your book, we're written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them you, you and i have a shelf life so if your days are numbered what do you do what do you do do you do like the rich man in luke 12 who he went out he made his plans apparently i'm guessing And he had a bumper crop. And if you go to that passage in Luke chapter 12, you'll see how over and over again, very subtly, he just left God out. Look what I have done. Look at my crops. Look at my things. I don't have barns big enough to hold them. So I'll tell you what I will do. I will build bigger barns. And then I'll say to myself, you can retire. You can take it easy. God called him a fool. He's, he's, he said, "You've got a shelf life. We don't know when our expiration date is. But everyone in this room has one, young or old. James is trying to help us to have the right attitude. So what should you do if you know that your days are numbered it could be today it could be tomorrow it could be years down the road well why not do exactly what he says to do in psalm 90 verse 12 so teach us god to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom so how do we do that by the way this is another good lunch round the table discussion you can have not only what business are you in parents ask that of your children But ask him, what is some way that I know that my days are numbered? I know I've got an expiration date that's out there, barring the return of the Lord. Okay? And so what do I need to do? Okay, well, let's go on. Because verse 15 tells us what we must say. This is really one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible to us. He says, instead, you ought to say if The Lord wills. Now, that word if is really, really, it's okay to translate this, but it's also translated in another way. It's translated like this. Whatever the Lord wills. Whether we live or not. Whether we do this or we do that. And this is James' simple message. You can trust God. God really ought to be involved in your plans. You really ought to seek his will. I I don't know. Why does that scare people so much? You ever talk to someone about God's will and they balk? And they might say something like this. I'm I want to give my life to the Lord, but I'm scared. I'm I'm afraid. Afraid of what? You know what deep down we're afraid of? We're afraid that He'll take something away from us that we like. And usually it's a sin or a sin pattern. We ought to be able to trust God. I told Jan today I was going to use her as an illustration. I told her, I warned her. Going back to college, when she came to the University of Arkansas, the Lord delivered her from Texas, brought her up the mountain to the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville as a freshman. She was a follower of Christ, but she had not been discipled a lot. So as a freshman, she dated indiscriminately. All right? Somebody asked her out, she went out. By the end of her freshman year, as a follower of Christ, she intuitively knew that doesn't work. And that summer, I believe it was, she went to an a, a week-long conference called the Institute in Basic, back then it was called Basic Youth Conflicts or Basic Life Principles, it has since come to be called, and there she heard some things as a young follower of Christ she had never considered, and so when she went back to the next year as a sophomore to the University of Arkansas, she determined, she made a plan because God God was first in the plan. Rather than, I'm just going to date, Lord bless my dating. She said, Lord, I want to do it the way you want me to do it. And she dated only Christians. And you would have thought that would have been enough. But she found out that a lot of young men who professed faith in Christ really didn't live it when they were away from home at the University of Arkansas. And so the following year as a junior, she made a further decision. She said, Lord, I'm going to give you my dating life. And she said, she says, he took it. (laughs) She said, "I'm, I'm only going to date men, young men, that I believe, that I know, that I've heard are my spiritual leaders. She virtually did not date her junior year in college. And then I came along. <laughs> Go figure. But later on she told me in fact, we were talking about this this morning, I'd forgotten about that. She said, "When you picked me up and we got in your little Volkswagen, I drove a Volkswagen then. And the first thing you said was, can we pray before our date? She said, I, I knew. I was tired of being other young men's spiritual leader. I wanted a spiritual leader. Now, folks, that's being intentional about making a decision. What you must say if the Lord wills. And you can trust him. You can trust him with your dating life. You can trust him with your life. Why? Because earlier in James, he has affirmed something that is so true. Every good gift, do you want God's best gifts? Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is always good, all of the time. It says in the Psalms, You are good and you do good. Teach me thy statutes. I love this quote. I quoted this Tuesday in the the, the message at Sam's service, his celebration service. Charles Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. If, like James says, your life is so uncertain, then why wouldn't I want to put it in the hands of one who loved me so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty for my sins on Calvary's cross? And who does have a plan for my life? He is the Lord. That's what it says here. If the Lord wills. Now, this is where we're only going to get through three of the six ways of how do you know God's will. And Here's what I'd like to ask you. Would you like to know God's will for your life? How many would like to know God's will for your life? That's pretty much everybody. Okay, we'll go through the first three, and then after that we're going to cut it off. We'll come back to this. I, I didn't come up with these um John MacArthur did. John MacArthur in a little book, Knowing, or excuse me, Found the Will of God. It's an excellent little short book, wonderful. He's got six things in there, and I'm just going to share some of the thoughts that I had surrounding these things. First of all, it is God's will that people are saved. First Timothy, this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, most of you know my theological persuasions. I don't know all of yours, but what? listen, whatever else you believe about God's plan of redemption, you must believe that part of his revealed will and his desire is that men and women and students and children be saved. We're not talking about a formula. We're not talking about a business transaction. You walk down an aisle, you sign a card, you do this, you do that, you join a church. We're talking about being born again. We're talking about being regenerated. That's God's heart. Puritan John Bunyan said that come And welcome are the Savior's eternal words to all sinners. The prophet Ezekiel pictured God with outstretched arms saying, Why will you die? But you can turn away from sin. You can call out to him. There may be some in here today, and even though you know the right thing to do, that's the last verse in this passage of Scripture, you know the right thing to do, you really ought to come to faith in Christ, you have stubbornly refused to do it. God takes no delight in your death, but there are consequences for your sin and disobedience. He would much rather you repent, And turn to him and live. You see, that's just the gospel. That's what this is all about. That's what James is writing about. The gospel. He wants us to be gospeled people. He would much rather you repent and turn to him and live. So you must believe that God created you. And that you are responsible to him. You must believe that you have rebelled and sinned against God. And that you deserve is justice and wrath. You must believe that Jesus died on the cross for sinners and that he will forgive your sin if you come to him. I invite you today, based on the authority of the word of God, won't you come to him as Lord and Savior? If you choose not to, then you cannot expect anything at all from the Lord except judgment. You certainly can't know His will for your life unless you take that first step. Second thing, it is God's will. Christian, once you have come into the family of God that you are filled with His Holy Spirit. And He does that. Boom! You are, the Bible says, baptized, inundated with the Holy Spirit. He's put into you. You are put into the body of Christ. You mentioned that a minute ago in your greeting time. You're put into the body of Christ. And yet it's not automatic. That daily experience of being led by the Spirit, being filled with, being controlled by the Spirit. And, And he says it, Paul says it a little bit differently in Colossians. He's talking about the Word. Let the Word dwell richly in you. I realize ways that I have not been. I was going to say, God wants you to be, and then it, it just checked me. I realize ways in which I have not been something that God wants you and me to be. It's an old word God besotted. Do not be drunk with wine. Be filled with, be besotted with the Holy Spirit. That is a daily hourly, minute-by-minute minute experience where you are yielding to him. He comes to live inside of you, but you must nurture that and be filled with the Spirit moment by moment. Now listen, listen to me. This is something that is so important. I said it's not automatic, and that's why God wants you to have this thing called a quiet time. David Platt said it, in i got another quote up here. The quiet time, okay, that can be mechanical. You just check your boxes off. Well, I've read that. Looks like I'm going to get through the Bible in a year, and I'll tell everybody about it. Being filled with the Spirit is not a matter of checking off boxes. It's a matter of relationship. David Platt says, so we go to Him. This is talking about in the quiet time. We spend time with him. We sincerely listen to his word as we walk in obedience to it. Not perfectly, but we are seeking to do that. As we do these things, God leads and guides us according to his will. And suddenly, we realize that the will of God is not a roadmap. Just waiting to be unearthed somewhere. Instead, it's a relationship that God wants us to experience every day. Last thing we're going to talk about today, we'll continue this in two weeks, two weeks. It's a teaser to get you to come back next week and two weeks to hear the rest of it because you got to have the other three. So God wants you to be saved, okay? And the majority of you in this congregation are. I hope no one is deceived and you're not truly a follower of Christ. Just what? look at your life. Look at the big idea. Faith works. Measure it. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be spirit-filled. He wants you to be sanctified. This is an interesting verse to go with this, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then what does he immediately go to? The area of sexual morality and immorality that you abstain from sexual immorality. You know, I've wondered about that. I I wonder why he didn't list other kinds of sins. Listen, folks, there is no sin that violates the Christ-Church relationship, like the sin of sexual immorality. It's, It's a picture. That's why the marriage vows are to be held in honor. It's a picture of Christ and his church. Each one of you know how to control his own body The word is vessel, it could pertain to the the, the spouse. Either way, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Now, you you know this. If you're a new Christian, do not think that instant sanctification. No, no, no. This is a lifelong process of becoming more like Christ in which you will increasingly, being filled with the word, God besotted, being filled with the spirit, separating from sin and our old way of living. Paul says it in Romans 12, Don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Luke 9.23 says, If any man wishes to come after me, let him, what, deny himself? Take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, the cross of Christ daily comes between you and the world. You're dying to those fleshly desires and learning how to live to please God so that you can know what is commanded. Beyond that, what is allowable? And beyond that, what is best? What would help me grow into Christ's image and glorify Him and help others? I want to end. We're going to come together in a moment and respond in prayer and singing, but there there is an old hymn. I I just want to read it to you, and then we're going to pray and be closed. It was written by Francis Havergal around 1874. What's interesting is around 1875, within that same time frame, an English poet by the name of William Ernest Henley wrote a poem called Invictus. For us in Oklahoma, that has meaning. Those were Timothy McVeigh's last words, Invictus. I won't read the whole poem because I, w- I want to read the hymn. This is the attitude about being sanctified and surrendering. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. This is Invictus. I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. That's how to play God. Listen to the contrast. Those words in the old hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move. At the impulse of thy love, take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always, only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold, take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. take my will and make it thine, it shall no longer be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at thy feet its treasure store take myself and i will be ever only all for thee ever only all for thee father and i pray that it would be true in our